Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where you will learn about elder wisdom, sage insights on growing old through passionate living. My first guest is Elizabeth Marshall Thomas. She has written 14 books during her half-century career, including several New York Times bestsellers. She holds a BA from Radcliffe College and an MA from the George Washington University, Born in Boston in 1931, she now lives on her family's former farm in New Hampshire. Her latest book is Growing Old, Notes on Aging with Something Like Grace. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is a pleasure. I am excited to talk with you about your life and what prompted you to write this book. Glad to. Yeah. Why do we have such a prejudice against old age? I'm kind of liking it. (laughs) (laughs) It has its advantages, I must say. But we certainly do have a prejudice against old age. Very, quite a strong one, I think. I think we notice it in many ways. I, for instance, I mean, I've gone to a couple of parties with my son and his wife, and who are, needless to say, younger than me. And, uh, People don't talk to the older people. I mean, you just sit there. And if you want to burst out and say something, that's fine, but you don't get asked to be part of the conversation, which very nice people were having the party. And it was a good party, but it uh, that that happens very often, as if the older people didn't know anything, which is strange because they know more. But, oh, well. Yeah, but... (laughs) Such is life, yeah. That's really interesting because in the case of Aunt Christine, you know, at 95, pushing 96, I say when she goes out to the party, we, we, we do make an effort to, because the, the hearing is a challenge for her, we make an effort to make sure that she engages because she knows more than anybody else at the table. Well, that's good. That's good. And of course she does. Yeah. Of course she does. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Of course she does. But what is it? What does grace look like? I mean, from the your vantage point, which you said you're going to be 89 in a minute or two, what does grace look like? What does this process of aging with something like grace mean? Well, as far as I'm concerned, it means dealing, I mean, of course, there are certain problems involved with old age, such as memory loss, and you don't, you're not as strong as you were, you can't walk as well, and all that stuff. But the grace, I think, may be managing that a little bit. Memory, for instance, I put a notebook and a, a little notebook and a pen in my 
in my bag. So if I go out somewhere and they tell me something I need to remember, I just jot it down. But then I go and lose the little piece of paper, which doesn't help. So, I mean, you, you know, you, you find ways to get around these things. And it actually works pretty well. I mean, if I say so myself, I'm not doing that badly. And uh, certainly worth a try. Memory is probably... I mean, I'm I'm not demanded or anything yet, but forgetting things all the time. And uh, there are several ways to to combat that. Um, you, if you say something to yourself, your mind seems to remember things it's heard rather than things it's read. <laughs> <laughs> I have witnessed that. I have witnessed that happening in my household. To much of our amusement, but it, it, that is a fact. But the other side of it is with the short-term memory going, because that's what I see. And I don't know yeah. if that's what your experience no, short-term is. Short-term memory, yes. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, you purge the filters, right? If you don't have a bunch of gunk clogging up the brain, you know, with that yeah. short-term minutiae, there yeah. is a, a greater bandwidth for some of these deeper conversations, I think. Oh, I, that's a fascinating. I wish I'd heard that before I wrote the book. I would have put it in. I just made it up so, on the fly with you. Well, it's <laughs> it's very true. I think it's very true. Very true. Yeah. I think your brain is saying you don't need this stuff. Get rid of it. And but and but the important things, things of the past, you remember very well, and probably in pretty good detail. Yeah, the things of meaning. Yeah, the things of meaning of the past. Yes. Not where you put your glasses, but what your father said on a certain occasion, that kind of stuff. I agree with you. We talked a bit before we started our conversation for real, you know, recording it, um, about our living status. And you live with your family. You live with your son and his wife. And my, my partner and I are caregiving his aunt. And my experience, I think, parallels yours in that I find it the most reasonable way to live right now. Well, I do too. I do too. Very strongly. For our family, it's kind of a habit. My, both my grandmothers, they were, the grandfathers weren't living when I was born, but the grandmothers lived with our family. And my mother lived with me after my father died. And uh, I live with my son. It just seems the thing to do. But I'm not sure why this doesn't happen more often. Uh, Maybe you don't get along with your kids, or maybe their kids are far away, or, you know, in other states, or in another country, or whatever, and it isn't possible. But I'm kind of a little surprised that it doesn't happen more often. Because who cares? Your kids care more about you than anybody else does, kind of. And, uh, I mean, usually. And, I mean, if you need help, they're glad to help you, usually. And uh, it seems kind of ideal to me, but, you know, it isn't to everybody. I'm not sure why. Uh, I'm not 100% sure why, other than it is in in your family, your family culture, this was the norm. In my family culture, it was not the norm. Uh. And the idea of having this wise elder in our home, especially during COVID, she lived in the property adjacent to us, you know, right, uh, we're on the same piece of property, but the the building was separate. And the the minute COVID looked like it was going to be here for more than a minute, she said, you know, I think it's time that we all live together and ride this out like the war. 
This was from the Good. perspective of, uh, at the time, a 94-year-old woman. And yeah. we were like, well, of course, what took you so long? Because we yeah. had... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a very sensible Very uh, sensible. Position, I think. And it's been fabulous, you know, just fabulous for companionship. It staves off depression and that sense of uh-huh. separateness and isolation. Yes, Especially now in this climate that we're living with, what I, which yes. I really want to talk with you about that in your lifetime, and this is something that I speak about with her. Did you ever imagine the pendulum politically, culturally, in a myriad of ways swinging in such a drastic way backwards? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I am old enough to remember World War II and Hitler. Yeah. And what Germany was like. And the only consolation you get from that is to look at Germany now. But it, I mean, that took quite a while to develop a d- democratic, great country like Germany is now. I mean, this is, Trump is, is like Hitler. He, I think, wants to be a uh, dictator. I think he'd love it if he could somehow get rid of elections. <laughs> and he kind of talks as if he did. Certainly the next one he would like to get rid of. And he's doing all he can to achieve that. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what he does and how it's handled. But no, nothing even even remotely approaching or talking about it, even thinking it might could possibly happen to us. Never, never did we think that. Yeah. The, the thought was that there would always be progress, that we would continue to evolve and that life would be better here for all of us, not just a few of us. Exactly. How many Americans uh, go away to live in other countries because they're afraid of this one? Very few, I would say, in the past. But I'm expecting um, Canada to build a wall to keep us. (laughs) (laughs) I think so, too. I think so, too. I had uh, been to Niagara Falls recently, and, you know, you look over the falls, you look over the river to the other side or the lake to the other side, and I'm like, Please just let me in. You know, let me just yeah, come for dinner. Yeah. And yeah. And whoever yeah. thought that that we wouldn't be able to get out of this country and we wouldn't be able to get a passport at our pleasure. No. No, uh, no, it's it's new for for all of us. It's interesting as to how the population, the part of the population that takes it seriously and believes that it's going on and not not accepted by another fairly large part of the population. Now, New Hampshire has been pretty good in, um, we've had a low, compared to other states, we've, New Hampshire, Vermont, and Maine have had a fairly low, we haven't had a low number of, of cases and deaths, but we, but it's lower than many others, that's all. And just the other day, we have learned that a group of religious people are coming from all over the country to have an event here in the town next to ours. Wow. And they, they don't believe in face masks or standing apart. It's a religious thing, and they're going on and on about God and everything. And uh, so I think we're probably going to experience some change in the number of uh, the people who are coming to it, and there's supposed to be a great many people. Um, they're going to live in the towns around, including our town, and I, I just expect, think that we're in for a, for a big problem, and uh, we'll be even more careful than we've been. Wow! But uh, I mean, I mean, to think we'd be living like this—never, 
No, it's it, it has been shocking to a lot of us. But I think that aging in this age is very interesting. And I, I we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'd love to learn more about some of the life-changing experiences in your life. And I want to also get your take on the speed of time because you write that time catches up with us. So we're going to take a pause. Yes, let's do it. We're going to take a pause. Then we're going to come back and continue the conversation with my guest today, Elizabeth Marshall Thomas. The book we are speaking about is her latest one among more than 14 entitled Growing Old Notes on Aging with Something Like Grace. We'll be right back. Before we head out to the break, I want to acknowledge the collective anxiety that a lot of us are feeling due to constant news about the pandemic and election, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm right there with you, overwhelmed. And as a result, taking care of our mental health should not be a luxury, but a self-care necessity. Mental health care is a sound investment in ourselves that pays off in multiple ways over time, but it shouldn't break the bank. And that's why I'm proud to be partnered with Talkspace Online Therapy. Best of all, an entire month of Talkspace cost about the same as a single in-person session. Talkspace is on a mission to make therapy affordable and accessible for all. And Talkspace has thousands of licensed therapists trained in more than 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, relationships, and more. Got something bugging you? Let Talkspace help find the right mental health care professional for you. Talkspace is a secure and private interactive platform that provides a virtual space to talk it out with your therapist from the comfort and privacy wherever you are, 24-7, whenever, and for whatever is on your mind. And now Talkspace covers 40 million people for online therapy through their insurance or employer. Talking it out reduces stress, anxiety, and depression. The bottom line is that we all need someone to talk to. Talkspace wants to give us the support we deserve at a price we can afford. As a listener of this podcast, you get $100 off your first month on Talkspace. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com or download the app. Make sure to use the code HAPPINESS to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's HAPPINESS and Talkspace.com. Now let's take that pause. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. Welcome back. Before we rejoin today's conversation, I want to remind you all about the power of resilience. Psychotherapist and friend of the show, Amy Morin writes, proactively working to develop mental strength increases your resilience to stress and reduces the toll it takes on you both physically and mentally. And the research has proven that resilient folks possess a strong ability to bounce back after challenge and adversity. 
And luckily, we can build resilience like a muscle. Whether you call it hardiness, grit, or resilience, it is essential in recovering from difficulties. In fact, resilience is a prized character strength of happy people, and now more than ever, a functional requirement in our new normal and new world of work. If you're in charge of hiring for your company, resilience should be part of every job description. Whether you're ready to make your next important hire or need some rehiring tips, Indeed is here to help you meet your workforce hiring needs. Indeed.com is the number one job site platform in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility in your hiring process. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed will help you find the high-impact hire you need, just like they have done for more than 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash HH. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash HH. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Let's get back to the conversation. And we are back talking with Elizabeth Marshall Thomas about elder wisdom, sage insights on growing old through passionate living. Let's get back to the conversation. Before the break, we were talking about what she has seen in her almost 89 years young life. And I asked Elizabeth about some of the life-changing experiences that she has had. And Elizabeth, I'd love for you to, you know, we'll, we'll step away from politics and COVID for a little bit and talk about some of those impactful moments, the impressions that they have made on you and how they've changed perhaps the course of your life. Oh, that's kind of easy for me. The the big one was that we, my dad, um, retired and he loved the out of doors and he loved the natural world. And he decided that we would go to part of South Africa, the Southwest Africa at the time, to a place that was 120,000 square miles of that area, which included what is now Namibia and Botswana. Wow. 120,000 square miles was quote unquote unexplored. And we were going there to visit the people that were then called Bushmen and now called San. And we found a, we went into that area. Uh, we got organized in trucks and everything and we went in and, and found, we found groups of San who were pre-contact. They didn't have, they had not yet had contact with the outside world, so to speak. Speaking of unexplored, they knew every inch of those 120,000 square miles. And uh, we were, we did a, a study, so to speak, of those people, which I was there for during three years. I wasn't there for the, for each, I was there for one year and then parts of two other years. The rest of my family stayed on and on. I went and did something else, another another group of people, but I'll go into that later. 
And the the interesting thing about the Sand was the way they lived. Um, they uh, one in one uh, later on an archaeological um, site was found where there there was on that site there was an was a, um, a an encampment, and excavation showed that the camp, encampment had been there for eighty five thousand years, continuously occupied. With very little change in the in the material culture, and I'm wow. assuming it. Would, I think with some reason that this meant there was very probably very little material change in the in the social culture, and the reason one reason for that is that there are only so many ways you can live as hunter gatherers, uh, and I mean the, those people were they were fabulous people and riveting. They are our ancestors. The, the Khoisan peoples are the ancestors of everybody. Their languages are the basis of our languages. And to think, how successful can you be if you can exist on this earth for 85,000 years without destroying anything and to keep your culture, which was obviously very successful, I mean, I never got over that. I never got over being, and everything I see, I see through that lens afterwards. After that, I wrote a short story which won a prize, and publishers looked for people like that, and they, one Knopf asked me if I would write a book, and I said, okay. And <laughs> I wrote a book called The Harmless People, which is, um, I think it's kind of naive, and it, if I, I mean, I was 19 when I began working on it, and, uh, well, anyway, it's, it's used in, um, classes. Wow. Um, in colleges, and I wish they used, the other book I wrote about it later when I was 70, called The Old Way, A Story of the First People, because that isn't naive, it's pretty good, but it isn't as famous, so it doesn't get, anyway, whatever. No, not whatever. Wait, just wait, hang on one second. Hold the phone because I think this is pretty important <laughs> that, that it's, it, it does connect dots that you had this impressionable experience when you were a young woman or a young girl that has been a, a, a thread for it sounds like your entire life about sort of this, uh, way of being in the world that, um, is simple and yet sophisticated at the same time. It's a way of looking at the world. Yes. And it, it it is simple, and I'm proud to think that it's sophisticated. <laughs> but it's well, it's realistic. Yeah, I mean that that's how we began. And the the important thing is that it lasted eighty five thousand years. We don't have a culture that's lasted that lasts you know twenty minutes. Our culture <laughs> changes all the time. Really? Yeah. I, I hear and you. And it isn't successful. I mean, we're destroying everything else. So, but there's something in this culture, in in this tribal way of being, that maybe speaks to this theme of you know multi generational housing or cooperative housing, where we take care yeah. of one another, where we have yeah. a sense of social responsibility. Oh yes, towards one another. And um, from what little I know, and I'm 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 a newbie in this way that when we look at these ancient cultures, that they never consumed more than they needed. True, and they cared. The elderly were greatly respected for a good reason. The elderly remembered everything that had happened, things important things that happened in their life. If things happened rarely, they knew what to do, and they knew what their elders had told them. So that's over a hundred years of memory. 
in the mind of an elder. And that was very valuable. Old was a term of respect. It was like sir or prince or something like that. It was a, but it came after the name. People, when lions would come to look at the encampment where we stayed, uh, men would take branches out of the fire uh, and the campfire and kind of shake them at the lions. And they would call them old lions and ask them to leave. And the lions, when they heard they were spoken to respectfully, would, they actually would go away. This, this happened several times. Wow. We saw. But it was, I, I was convinced that old lions was the, was the key. But then I was, I was working with Catherine Payne. She discovered, um, infrasound in elephants. And I was working with her. I mean, I, I was, I was holding a coat. She did the, the science. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I went to get a, I went to get, pick up something that we'd left behind, some machi- piece of machinery. And there was a lioness lying beside it. And, uh, I, I did what the Bushman did. I, I said, Oh, lioness, that's ours. Can I have it? And she charged me. So the lion human relationship was different. It were, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I ran as fast as I could and it's unwise to rise, to run away from a lion because yes. it just inspires them to chase you. But I had no choice because she was running and I, I, I jumped into the van that I'd driven there and banged the door. Oh wow! And she she just looked at me and walked up and went off. When you see a lion, and this happened this happened to my brother and me. We were out in the pines and we came around some bushes and there was a lion. And what you're supposed to do, according to the bushman, is to walk away at an oblique angle and seem unconcerned and seem not to in, not interested. But we were so riveted, we didn't know what to do. So the lion walked away at an oblique <laughs> angle and seemed unconcerned. That, that's, that's funny. What to do, obviously. But you know what? A, what a metaphor for life. You know, when we encounter yeah. a bully, mm-hmm. you know, walk away yeah. obliquely and pretend not to be interested. Yeah, that's right. It yeah. works for lots of things. Uh, lots of things. And you know, I want to just ask you about the uh, the speed of time. But before I do, I just want to mention, like, who cares about not remembering where your glasses are when these these stories yeah. are so yeah, much so, richer and important? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I know. And the glasses turn up. You know, you eventually they turn up, right? They can only be yeah. in so many places. They do not have wings. Um, That's right. Good thing. Yeah, they just don't. <laughs> I never thought of that. That's very good. Yeah, I personally have about 10 pair of readers in my house, and I just oh, scatter good. them about, and then I, I yeah. feel like I, I can always make my way to one pair or another, you know? Mm. Good. <laughs> Let's talk Excellent about time. Solution to the problem. Yeah, exactly. Don't sweat <laughs> it. Just buy more glasses. Yeah. What about this good. time? Time. Why is time moving so quickly? The older we become, the it seems like somebody hits the speed oh. button and it moves faster. Oh, doesn't it? I don't know. I don't know. Well, one possibility is that the things that happen during the time are things you're very familiar with and you've dealt with them for years and all that stuff and you don't, they're not so important. And so you kind of toss them aside and if you're a kid and learning things everything you learn is hugely important so you take it in and that's my theory it isn't much of a theory but it 
it, it's probably a little bit, there's probably a little bit to it. But yes, time, good grief. I mean, somebody came, they, they liked, the, it was the Hermes people. And they had a copy and they wanted me to, the, the book I wrote about the Bushmen. And she wanted me to autograph it. And then she asked when it was written and it didn't, you know, I thought, well, you know, a few years ago, I guess. And I looked and it was written in 1959. That's when it was published. Wow. So that was, and, but, and I thought, oh, gee, well, that was a while ago, I guess. That was just a minute. That was a minute in the <laughs> but, past. But, it yeah. Probably felt it like. seemed, it seemed that it, it seemed like, you know, a little while ago. Yeah. This is uh, some aspect of aging that does fascinate me and and that that time seems to pick up speed. And in looking backward, you know, in looking in the rearview mirror, what is it that defines a life well lived? What is it that gives us that sense of satisfaction that we've either achieved or realized, you know, our goals or dreams? Yes. That's a fascinating way to look at it. A fascinating way to look at it. I mean, what is it for you? Like when you, at the end well, of the day, when you put your head down on your pillow. Yeah. What do you reflect on your life that makes you feel most satisfied? Well, oddly enough, it's probably my dogs. I have two little dogs who like the, going to bed is our favorite occupation. Because <laughs> we, we, we all, yeah, we, they lie right next to me, put, pressed against me. And I love that feeling. And we all, we all are happy. They're happy. They love going to bed. And, uh, cause we're all together and <clears throat> we're safe and we're quiet and we're sleeping. And, but you know, that's not many younger people feel that that's the ideal thing to do. It's something you have to do. But yeah. You, you know, they'd rather be at a party or something, but not me. I'd right now rather be in bed with my dogs. Would you say the feeling is one of unconditional love, that that's where the satisfaction comes from, that that connection in that way? Well, the unconditional love, yes, and also that we understand each other. We know each other very well. We're different species, so that the things I do they might not approve of if they were people there's no such thing and things they do that I don't approve of are very small (laughs) and I think dog approval of other dogs is their field not mine and uh, the same intimate close feeling bonds are are very strong and very real the other things are peripheral and not important and not as important not as not nearly as strong as as the bonds. Not that I don't feel that way about my family members. I do, but we don't all sleep in the same bed. Yes, yes. I'm I'm very very <laughs> glad that you uh, qualified that statement. And <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you're talking about something very very specific and intimate. And we're almost out of time. And I wanted to just ask for your words of wisdom to those who are listening, or for those who are listening. What would you say to, as we head into the autumn and the winter of our lives, that we should be paying attention to? One of my feelings would be that it don't pay too much attention to the fact that we're entering into the winter of our lives. I mean, that has a somewhat depressing feeling, and there's no need to be depressed. I mean, we're all going to die. That's a fact. So to enjoy what you can while you're 
living is, I mean, you have two choices. You can enjoy things or, or not enjoy things. And if you don't, then you have an unhappy life. And, and if you do enjoy things and if you're in good terms with other people, one of the important things I think is to stay socially connected as best you can. That helps with family members, with friends, so that you don't become too isolated. Um, being isolated can be, well, with the Bushmen, it could be fatal. And, uh, well, there, w- there was one man who was, he had only one social connection. He'd never married because he'd never hunted successfully, and he didn't get all the, uh, the only relation he had was his sister. So he lived at her husband's encampment. encampment. Mm. And uh, then some people came from another area, and they were sick, and the people with us all got sick. And the two people died, and so his, including his sister. So then he had nobody. And then what, once when there's a death, the people moved to another place. So they were going to move, and they they moved, and he was following the whole group, but he wasn't walking as fast because he was old. And uh, when night came, the other people camped. He wasn't with them. They didn't go back to find him, which they normally would. If somebody was missing, they would go back to find that person. But but they didn't go back to find him. So he was alone on the on the empty felt mm. at night without a fire. And hyenas found him, and killed him. Mm. So that, if anything, shows why it's good to have social connections. We are out of time, and I, I want to just close with one, one, one more question, and that is regarding our egos as we age, because we really haven't explored the depth of your books, what you have done throughout your lifetime, which is quite substantial. And when we were getting started, you said, Oh, no, no, it's, you don't, you don't need to talk about that. You don't need to talk about those books. And, it, <laughs> and it allowed me to sort of open my mind to this perspective of the ego, perhaps diminishing. I think it does. I really believe it does. I'm not sure why. But well, maybe you just see yourself in relationship to the rest of the world or to everything else. I mean, after all, you're one of the oldest people. And you have seen more than every, all the other younger people. So you, uh, maybe you just feel something realistic. I mean, no one person is all that important. No. Um, we are to each other and we are to ourselves, but not in real life. I mean, not in the general picture of things because we're just one person and everything else is important too. I mean, I, that's how I feel at least. The treaties are important, but you know, everything is important. And, uh, yeah. I'm I'm just one person. That makes a little sense to me at least. It makes it makes a lot of sense to me too. And I guess the other thing I think of is that as we age, I think we become more comfortable in our own skin and yeah. therefore we don't need the the external validation. We just we just are. Oh, that's very true. Very true. You know, when you don't, it doesn't matter what other people think. I mean, you know, back with them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I I get criticisms from this and that, and I don't care. I don't take them seriously. And in the past, I probably would have. Yeah. Well, I think maybe that's one of the rights of age in a good way. You know? Yeah. We have the yeah. right not to care anymore. Not that doesn't mean that one isn't a caring person. It's the right not to yeah, care exactly, about about exactly, exactly. insignificant details. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yes. 
My guest today has been Elizabeth Marshall Thomas. The book we are speaking about is her latest and one of many entitled Growing Old Notes on Aging with Something Like Grace. And you know what, Elizabeth? Thanks for gracing me with your presence today. I really have enjoyed this. <laughs> oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. very nice to talk with you. Oh, likewise. We're going to jump off for a quick pause and we'll be right back. That is a promise. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We are back talking about elder wisdom, sage insights on growing old through passionate living. My next guest is Elaine Mays. She also goes by the pen name of Hannah Stevens. After a long career as a software design engineer with several large corporations, Elaine Mays wrote and has published seven novels under this pen name of Hannah Stevens. She is also a cancer survivor of nine years. She lives with her two dogs, a Brittany Spaniel, Lily, and a Weimaraner, Sophia, in Phoenix, Arizona. And she is in the house at 80 years young to talk about the lust for travel, which when you talk with me, Elaine, you just ooze happiness when you talk about these adventures. Absolutely. My life is just Full of happiness right now. It hasn't always been that way. And I've, you know, had to have some problems in my life that I had to deal with. And, but I've learned how to do that and I've come through it. And now what I'm doing right now is, is the most amazing thing. And, and I feel part of this is because I feel like I'm giving back to the world, giving back to uh, the planet. And, you know, writing, going to these faraway places, right, coming back and writing about the, I'm writing about the animals and the plight of the animals on our planet. And so this just gives me great pleasure. Your latest book, Borneo Experience, is the fourth in a series of murder mysteries. I, I probably should talk a little bit about your travels. You've been to the Arctic Circle, Botswana, Nairobi, Africa, Borneo, New Zealand, Antarctica, Morocco, and many others, uh, Malaysia as well. And you've weaved these stories about what you see and, and the status of animals and climate as well into a tale. Exactly. And particularly in Borneo, what is happening there. And, you know, I come back and I do a lot of research in addition to learning about, you know, the, the animals and the people who live there. And, but what's happening is that, uh, there are these pet traffickers that are, are capturing the, the baby animals. And, and the reason that they, they can do this is because the forests are being cut down. Their homes are being cut down. Uh, and, and they have no place to live anymore. So they, you know, they kill the mothers and then they take the babies and they sell them as pets on the, on the market. And it's just really sad. And I wanted, pe I wanted people to know about that. And, uh, the, the reason that they're cutting these forests down is for palm oil, uh, plantations and palm oil is something that is used in so many products these days and uh there are sustainable products that you can buy and you need to people need to be aware of this so that this is what i'm trying to tell people 
And when we talk about palm oil, it's in our cosmetics, it's in food, it's in a, it's in a yep. lot of goods that we consume on a regular basis. So you are raising right. awareness through your through your travels and through your storytelling of right. what it is doing to our our animal relatives. Right. And another problem that is krill oil. Uh, the krill are in Antarctica. The krill are are the main food. They're little shrimp. And they're the main food for um, uh, the, the seals, the uh, whales, uh, you know, most, most of the wildlife down there. So these big factory fishes, fishing boats come down there and slurp up the krill by the tons, you know, and then take it back and, uh, you know, make, make krill oil. Now, I just realized that I'm not going to say the name of the store. <laughs> is carrying this product and I'm going to call headquarters this week and tell them that I do not want them to carry this product anymore, krill oil, because it's taking away from from the wildlife. Well, the krill oil also is being used to manufacture omega-3 vitamin supplements. True. It's a very potent, right. potent source of those things that we need, but there are other ways that we can get there, it. That <laughs> There are other ways, and we we you know we don't have to uh, take the food away from, from and and the krill are diminishing in Antarctica because the food that the krill eat is in the ice. It's like plants that grow in the ice, and the ice is going away. So you know it's it's a collapsing of the whole system. So and I'm trying you know that's what I'm trying to tell people. Well, you are a wise woman. And what I admire about where you are in your life and the joy that you are getting to experience by by following your passion. And it didn't come at an easy price. I mean, like you said, you have been through things, one of which is um, about of cancer at age 70. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I was. In fact, I was with my son up in Yosemite uh, National Park and I was in the shower and I found a lump. And I went to the doctor that some, you know, a couple months months later, and uh, uh, the doctor looked at me and he said, he said, Elaine, he said, do you want to die? And I said, no, <laughs> I do not want to die. And he said, well, he said, I think, you know, you have breast cancer, so uh, diagnosed. And once I was diagnosed, of course, you know, I went into the treatment, and my thought was at that time, you know, I very easily could have died. I mean, it was, it, it was stage three. It was close to being metastasizing. But what I did was I just threw everything I had at it to come through this because I, I wanted to live. I want, I had a lot to do. Clearly. <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, you know, and uh, so, I mean, I, I diet, I went out and I exercised right after chemo. I mean, I just, uh, the day that I had, uh, the day after my breast was removed, I went hiking with my son. You know, just, I mean, I am just not going to be kept down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that, it's that will to live, you know, it's so important. Well, I think the wisdom in what you share is that the adversity itself is the test that can either make one stronger or take one out. And you chose the former. Exactly. You have yeah. some little truisms. I wanted to ask you about some more of those. I mean, one is that, you know, experiencing adversity makes you stronger, which certainly the cancer experience did. But there are others. 
Talk a little bit about maybe when family isn't enough. Well, I I was raised in a, a middle class family in a lovely little town in Minnesota, and you know one would think, well, this is the ideal way to grow up, but we, you know, families are not perfect, <laughs> and uh, we, you know, we had a lot of strife in our family, and my mother was not close to me. She was favored my brother and my brother was out to get me because he didn't like me being there. He was six years older than I when I arrived on the scene. And so there were all these these problems that I didn't even realize when I was little. You know, I didn't understand. It's only when I, I later in my life that I look back on this and I understand this. And um, I don't know if we want to talk about this, but, uh, you know, I it's was looking for love. I was <laughs> Okay, I was looking for love, I was looking for acceptance, and I wasn't getting it at home, and so I was taken in by a predator in the neighborhood, and so I was molested, you know, I had all these things happening, and the more they happened, the more my mother, you know, my brother was telling her, I mean, it was just, it was not good, but I don't know how I came through it. At that point, you know, I just, I just, I think because I was always looking for fun and I, you know, let's have a party, you know, and so I was always kind of escaping. I was always running away. I ran away to my first husband. I thought he was going to solve it and that didn't work out for whatever reason. I was married to him for 17 years and that's when I had the, I had three babies. I have one wonderful, beautiful son. And then after that, two lost two babies. I was mm-hmm. in a state of, of uh, depression for two or three years. And then, oh, several years later, we divorced and then I married again. And I was always looking for escaping mm. and, and that, I, that I had to run away from. And, you know, and, and what is so beautiful about my life now is that I'm running two things. Yeah. And yourself. I mean, you, they, yeah. ultimately, you write about that you or we are the only person that we can depend upon. And, That's right. And you realize that, that you're capable of really kind of taking care of yourself nicely. Exactly. And I... I was able to come to that point after my second divorce. Here I was, 50 years old. I really didn't have any retirement money. I had a little house. I'm in that house today. <laughs> and so I was having to, you know, build up my retirement. I got a job. I had been running a, a modeling agency, in fact, for about five years while I was married to my second husband. But the recession got in the way. So, so my ex-husband said, well, I think I think you should learn computers. And I said, I hate computers. <laughs> and he said, no. He said, you can do this. You're smart. You you can learn how to program. And he helped me. And I bought a computer and I learned how to program. And I got my first job at the county. And then I went on to work for Intel. You know, And I had a 15-year career as a programmer. And, you know, from a modeling agency to a programmer, I mean, come on. <laughs> to a writer? <laughs> To a a crusader for animal and environmental rights. (laughs) Yeah, it's doable. (laughs) Well, it is. And and, and so that's why I say that, you know, you can accomplish anything if, if you have that drive and that will to do it. 
You're amazing. I mean, I, I firmly believe that when we are at our worst and we are tested at the deepest levels, those of us that have that strong pilot light, which we all can learn to fan, yeah. can, can rise again. You know, we, we sort of fan our own flames and go off and, um, create new lives for ourselves and new ways of being. And it takes courage, you know? Yeah. It does. And, and it, and it's hard. It's difficult at times, but I guess what is the alternative to give into it? <laughs> you know, no way. <laughs> well, it's not so. pretty. The alternative I don't think is pretty. I think in, at times in my life where I have experienced difficulties, you know, some are not dissimilar to what you've described. I think, yeah. oh, that sort of being the, the blithering person that's curled up in a fetal position on the, on right. the ground is not really attractive to myself, let alone anybody else. That's right. Yeah. We're going to take a pause. And when we come back, we okay. are going to continue the conversation with Elaine Mays, also known as Hannah Stevens, to learn more about her work and her writing and her books and her travels and her triumphs. Please visit www.hannahstevensauthor.com. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, a boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness, is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. with Elaine Mays about elder wisdom, sage insights on growing old through passionate living. Let's get back to the conversation. You're looking back now on all of these things we were talking about in the break with a little bit of a smile, as hard as they were. Absolutely. Yeah. I've had an amazing life, you know, and, and there's been some really rough stuff. Really rough stuff. I mean, you yeah. know, and talking about, you know, losses, traumas, uh, disappointments. And, you know, you shared with me about your son and, and, and the cool place you have arrived at now, but that it wasn't always easy. And those of us who have kids yeah. know it's not always easy. I met my husband when I was in um, training for uh, stewardess training in Minneapolis, and we married. And uh, I was actually pregnant when we were married, and my mother didn't know that. If she did know that, if she knew it, she we didn't talk about it. I mean, that was just a no-no. <laughs> yes, yes, for for a nice so, girl at the time. <laughs> yeah, not yeah, right, exactly. So Alan was born. The happiest moment in my life, the happiest day of my life, was the day he was born. He's he was he's beautiful. He was a beautiful baby, and he's a wonderful son. But. We went through some really difficult times, and as you know, 
uh, as he started growing up, and especially when I was divorcing my his father, my my husband, you know, he got into some drugs and he, you know, and drinking and, you know, all this kind of, he went to live with his father for a while. His father couldn't handle him, sent him back to me. So I was a single mom then. And at that point, you know, he was a senior in high school. I sent him down to the central high school, which he had not gone to school before. And he I quit. He came home one day and he said, I'm, I'm quitting. And I said, well, okay. And, and he was of the age where he could. I said, okay, if you're going to quit school, you're going to have to go out and get a job. Because, you know, and I thought to myself, I'm not having him sitting around here drinking and doing drugs. Right. <laughs> and so he did. He went over to a, a resort, which is not far from my house, and got a job dishwashing. And then he got was raised up to prep cook and then cook and then he got into video into the video part of of the resort uh, learning how to do videos and that's what led him to what he does today he's a video engineer and he worked for uh, George Lucas Films for 15 years you know and and so if i had let him go what would have happened yeah you know i mean it was I had to be tough. I had, I had to, it was tough love. And, uh, he, you know, he thanks me for it. But we have an amazing relationship and he's just, he's just an amazing young man. He's caring and loving and everything that I would want my son to be. And I'm, you know, that's happiness for me too. I agree with you. When we see our children rise and step into their adulthood, you know, with a sense of purpose and, and, and a personality that is, um, warm, inviting. I mean, it, it I, I, I hear you, you know, I just, I, my, my children yeah. are young adults and they're, they're on their journeys. Um, but it's nice to hear from a parent whose son arrived at the other side of his own school of hard knocks, you know, yeah, um, yeah. In, in such a in such a good way. And I think this also speaks to you. We go back to your story. And although Borneo experience is what we're supposed to be talking about here, um, <laughs> but what we're really talking about, you know, is the the journey of the story of our lives and yeah. what, what we yeah. get to choose to do with it. Exactly. I made some notes this morning you know, before I started talking with you. And there are some guidelines that, that I that I adhere to, you know, in my life. And uh, I smoked cigarettes and I drank a lot of beer and wine and booze when I was in high school. Let me tell you, I was a wild child. But <laughs> I'm... <laughs> But but I got through that. I quit smoking when I was 30, thank goodness. And so I have some guidelines. And, you know, what is happiness? Happiness is is a feeling of well-being and, you know, a feeling that you can cope with whatever is thrown at you. Because you're going to have things thrown at you. Yeah. I mean, it's going to happen. And and you take a deep breath and you say, okay, well, now what what can I do now? And then, of course, and that brings about feeling safe. But... Some of the things that I practice, number one is I practice being in, in good health. I take care of myself. I walk up until recently. I've been walking uh, five miles every day. I climb mountains, you know, and I'm, I'm just uh, really, you know, taking care of myself. I, I take no 
um, prescription drugs whatsoever. I'm 80 years old. That's, you know. Unheard of in America. Not in other parts yeah. of the world, but in America, it's almost shocking, right? Yeah. Take care of your body. Keep a good a weight and, you know, and, and eating, eating healthy. Okay. So every day I lay out my goals for the day and think about what I'm going to accomplish for that day. And then, and I may not accomplish everything and I don't beat myself up for it because it's okay. (laughs) And then every evening I evaluate what, what have I done today? What, what did I get, you know, and, and then I reward myself for, you know, writing a couple of chapters or whatever I have, have done, uh, you know, and then there are these other things that, that one, uh, to be really feel good about yourself, feeling love and compassion for others and having understanding of others, of other people's problems, you know, and, and every day doing something for others or for the planet or for nature, you know, every single day, if you can. And, and then here's one that I have a hard time with. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for being honest. <laughs> yeah. Forgiveness. Oh, um, this, this is one that I have a hard time with and I won't go into that, but you know, there's one area of my life where I've had a difficulty with that. And then I give myself some flowers every day. Oh. Not, not, Virtual flowers, you know, sometimes I, they're real flowers, uh, maybe uh, a, a treat, so an ice cream treat or some kind of treat or something, something that you can look forward to having, you know, and that makes you happy. Make yourself happy. Yeah. Well, you've certainly done that. You know, when uh, I look at the story that you shared and I look at where you are now and the life that you are leading, even in the midst of COVID, you know, you've been in isolation, you shared for several months, yeah. but it has not stopped you from planning, intending, and, uh, right. cre- you know, creating your next trip that will happen. I mean, I'm, I don't doubt That's right. that. Right. You know, I have a hard time with people. I know p- people are, you know, we're all human. I mean, you know, we all have our frailties, but I mean, we have so much yeah. Most of us. Now, I, I know there are a lot of people hurting in the, in this country and I understand that. And then that is really horrible. I mean, people who are without jobs, without food, you know, and I mean, I know there's a, a lot of that. And, you know, I want to do something to help that as well. And I intend to do that. But, you know, I mean, we're, if we're isolated at home, we've got TV, we have, uh, you know, all, all of these devices, all of these things, you know, it just, there's no reason to, to, you know, I see these people out at bars and, and, you know, having to go, oh, I've got to go out to the bar. You know, I, I, I don't understand that. <laughs> yeah. It, I think there's a lot that we don't understand. And I think that the beauty of when we talk about happiness and self-determination and our ability to be resilient and bounce back, in spite of all the stuff that's going on in the world, it is a challenge at times. I mean, it's hard for me to believe and I, and know, I mean, I know for sure that there's food scarcity in America. I find that very upsetting because nobody should be going yeah. hungry ever anywhere. We have enough. I agree. The planet has right. enough 
and what is it about the haves and the haves and have nots and, and, and breaking down those barriers, which is a completely other episode exploration. But I mean, right. those are the things that I think about at the stage of my life where I find myself now. And that's upsetting. But I, I also know that me being miserable doesn't contribute towards the greater good. Nope. <laughs> it's not going to help. Yes. Not going to help. It's it's not sufficient penance. You know, it's the doing something about it that helps. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. So at this conversation, what I love about it is that we we started with the idea of really talking about, you know, your travels and and your books and your inspiration there. And really what it ends up being about is this mission and adventure that we get to make for ourselves in in this life. That's absolutely right. When I get on that airplane, you know, of course, I love flying. And so I know everybody, people will ask me, oh, oh, don't you hate those long flights? And I think the longest one I had was 17 hours. And I no, I don't. I, I'm back in coach. I don't fly first class or, you know, business. And I, I talk to people. I meet people. I go back and I talk to the crew because I'm former flight attendant. And we have a, a good conversation, you know, watch a movie, do some work, and, you know. I mean, it's, it's just so enjoyable. And I find that along the way, I, you know, I love people, I meet people, and, you know, being the age I'm, ha- I'm at, people always want to help me, and I let them. <laughs> <laughs> they want to help me get on the plane, and they want to help me with my luggage, and they want <laughs> That's beautiful. You know, I, I, don't, I don't need it, but, you know, I let them. And, you know, I met this young woman in Hong Kong. I went through Hong Kong to going to uh, Kota Kinabalu, um, Malaysia. And I met this young woman and we chatted on the plane and we got off the plane. Her family was there. She was going there for a wedding. She said, well, we'll take you to your hotel. Aww. You know, and, I mean, just that kind of thing. And we chatted the whole way that here's a young Chinese woman. I mean, she was beautiful and wonderful. And I just, you know, it just opens up your whole, whole aura of life. It's just amazing. And we get to see the generosity of the human experience, you know, or or, or humanity when we, when we travel, you know, we're in that state of curiosity and wonder and delight which I personally adore, <laughs> and I think you do yes. too. We are out of time. So I want to send our listeners over to your website, which is www.hannahstevensauthor.com. Once again, that's hannahstevensauthor.com. The book that we've been sort of talking about today is Borneo <laughs> Experience. It's the fourth in a series of murder mysteries. There are many, many other novels that you can explore over on Elaine May's website. Elaine Mays has been our guest today. She is also known as Hannah Stevens. That's her pen name. She is an 80-year-old adventuress. And I want to ask you, where are you going next? The minute you can get out of Dodge, where are you going? Well, I'm kind of looking at Iceland right now. Boom. I've been there. I love it. It's beautiful. Yeah, because I want to find out that they uh, hunt whales there. I want to find out about that. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. yeah, You can do krill watch. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that that's a possibility, and then, then there's some other ones too. And I will get down to the Amazon, get onto the Amazon, eventually. You know, I I just keep going until I can't go anymore. That's it, and I guess that's the moral of the story. We keep on keeping on till we can no longer keep on. <laughs> yep, that's right. Elaine, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thank you so much. I have enjoyed. Me too. 
Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests, Elizabeth Marshall-Thomas and Elaine Mays, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day, and remember to stay safe. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU-RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.